believe God wants to address perspective in all of our hearts and lives today. We're going to talk ultimately about the secret ingredient to courage. But uh, before we get there, I want to encourage you to think about just a couple of things. It's really easy to be passionate about that which is meaningful. Would you agree? When you discover that which is meaningful, it's easy to become passionate. And if we never discover that which is meaningful, but we just simply exist in the mundane, then we never activate passion to accomplish anything. And God is anything but mundane. The purposes of God, the plans of God are so meaningful. The eternal treasure of God exists within you. Everybody say me. I'm talking to you about you. And I want to challenge you in something. Um, this evening, we're going to gather in this room at 5.30 p.m. And I want to encourage you to consider, I know it's a lot uh, with what will be going on all day, but I sense that God is wanting to do something that literally um, is beginning to sculpt a new perspective for a more effective expression of the body of Christ in the world. What I just said is huge. What I just said is bigger than you can understand by the words I just used, and it's bigger than I can comprehend by trying to use the best words I can. God's doing something uniquely significant where he is about to empower the body of Christ in the earth to stop showing up and sitting in services and listening to speakers and start recognizing that when we gather together, we're celebrating the purposes of God because we've discovered something more meaningful that's the expression of our lives. You can't go to church, you are the church. We want to activate you as the church so we can gather as the church, worship God, be empowered to go out and transform society everywhere we go. How many of you believe you're an agent of transformation to your world? You have to understand it's more than just you hearing a positive message saying I do to Jesus and making your way to church each week. And so we've developed this curriculum idea and we're launching into it tonight. It's a six-week class. It's our leadership institute that uh, we host every Sunday evening. And normally we meet in a classroom upstairs, but uh, we just feel compelled that this is a bigger topic that we need to expose our entire congregation to. I've actually been in touch with and now had confirmation and conversation with pastors from Louisiana, California, New Mexico, Indiana, uh, did I say Texas, and then others in the state of Oklahoma that aren't local. They're all going to be, we're, we're not uh, doing a public broadcast, but we're going to provide a link for them to be able to tune in and see this because we, we just believe it's very significant about what God's wanting to do in the body of Christ in this next generation. How many of you know God might want to give birth to something very unique that might transform everything about the way we see the body of Christ? And you are a key to that. So there are dreams in your heart. I want to walk you through a process of understanding how to articulate and discover what those dreams are, how to activate those. And then the conclusion of the six weeks is for every single individual in the room to walk out with a well-developed plan for strategic implementation of a dream that you might not even know exists in your heart that God might want to perpetuate 100 years from now, long after all of us are gone, still transforming people's lives. How many believe God might be up to something? I just want to encourage you. It's the best I got to get you here. Uh, but tonight, just at least give it one week to show up and see if there's any way possible for you to make it 530 right here in this room. We do know, we, normally those are three-hour classes so 5.30 to 8.30, if you come prepared for that, we'll probably conclude about 8 o'clock. 
But um, I just believe there's something God's stirring. I, I don't need more work to do. How many know that? We, we've got plenty going on around here. But I just believe that this is something significant God's asking of us as a family. So I would invite you to come. I also just want to say, I want to honor uh, the director of our Leadership Institute. You've not had a lot of interaction with him unless you've gone to the classes. He's spoken a couple of times. But A.T. Hargrave, uh, he's a piece of work, man. I'll tell you right now. Uh, I am so thankful for our friendship. And what happened, we connected on a level of friendship, uh, I don't know how long ago now, but quite a while back. And out of our conversation emerged this whole concept of our partnering together in this process. But I'm just saying this because I want to say this last week, we were in a meeting with a group of our team, and he made a comment in the conversation about a decision that he had made and conversation and advice that he had given to somebody who was interested in, you'll hear more about this later, but a week intensive that we'll be providing at a discounted rate that actually happens in Dallas in the spring for key leaders that really want to go somewhere with their organization, their business, and so forth. Um, But he had a conversation with somebody, and he advised them in a way, listen carefully, that was not financially beneficial to the program. It was the right thing for them, but had he given them the other pathway, it would have been more financially uh, beneficial to our program. And as he's saying that, I just paused the meeting. I said, hang on one second. Let me just point this out. I want to make sure everybody in this room, all the pastors were in there. I said, I want to make sure everybody in this room hears what I just heard. A.T. just made a decision and gave some advice that was not financially beneficial to the organization of what we're trying to do, but it was the best thing for the people, and that's exactly what we need to make sure we're doing. We're keeping our hearts right. This is not about the bottom line. How many know the bottom line exists, but it's not about the bottom line? It's about Jesus, and it's about his people being activated into the purposes of God, and I believe God wants to awaken that in every one of us. And so then I come up, and I'm like, hey, this is free. Everybody come. No charge for the class, and everybody's excited. That's great. Normally, it's 200 bucks a person, $250 a couple. But then you got a director sitting on the front row thinking, now I'm required to make this work. And pastor's just inviting everybody. So I want to encourage you. It is no charge, but we will invite you to make a donation in that direction if you're able to do so. But boy, we want everybody to be here. So don't let that be any uh, thought to hold you back. Uh, the, the Connect card, you see that in the seat. If you're planning to come tonight, would you grab that Connect card just real fast? 5.30 class, you're planning to be here, just grab that card. And what we would like for you to do is just fill that card out and see A.T. Hargrave right after the service. He'll be right out there at our, uh, where we are every week to answer any questions about the Leadership Institute. And if you'll just fill out that card, you can drop that in his hand, and then we'll get everything taken care of in terms of uh, publications for the evening. There'll be tables set up. We're going to make this as classroom style as we possibly can. We're going to introduce to you literally 15 years of work in a template format that I believe will empower you to next-level life, next-level leadership. So, Lord... Um, I believe that today really is a significant day. I believe what you want to speak to us from your word is profound and life transforming. But even beyond that, I just believe that you are giving birth to a season that you want us to cooperate with that may be far beyond our wildest imagination of what you have in store. And we just say, Lord, as a family, here am I, send me. Here we are, send us. We honor you, Lord. We honor you, Lord Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. Would, would you mind, let's just stand to our feet as we just acknowledge in this moment, we just want to stand in a fresh anointing for everything that God desires to do. We do not want to play church. We don't want to come up with the corporate structure of successful church models and implement that. We want to stop chasing success and start multiplying identity. We understand who we are and what you desire to do, Lord, through our surrendered available lives. You've put the deposits for this church family in the heart of these church people. We just surrender, Lord, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. Take us deeper, we pray. We receive, Lord, your anointing would rest upon us fresh and new today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, in an attitude of expectation, let's just rejoice and thank God. We thank God for what God is up to in this next season of the body of Christ. Great days are before us. Great things are to come. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. Thank you so much. Um, I, I will not, I, I'm just letting you know right now, I will not contain myself. I won't even try uh, tonight in terms of, we always wait until the Servant Leader Appreciation Banquet, which is the first Wednesday of, of December. You'll be getting those invitations today. They're out, and uh, if you're serving in any area of the church, then we want you to plan to be here for a special night just for you. And on that first Wednesday in December, we always talk about the 2020 New Year's Revelation. And we reveal what we sense God is speaking over the course of the year. But it is so tied in and relevant to where we're going to go tonight. I'm going to start to unveil that in these classes uh, a little bit before we get to the banquet. At the banquet, I'll unveil fullness of. But I just think God wants us to see uh, something powerful that he's releasing. So... Um, I want to talk to you today about the secret ingredient to courage. The secret ingredient to courage. We've been, you know, in this focus of what it is to really be thankful and grateful and what we've learned, and I hadn't even intended this going into this in the beginning, but what we've learned is that our gratitude is actually a weaponized um, piece of our armor. Gratitude becomes weaponized in our lives, and it breaks things off of us. It helps us hold the right perspective. It's like Travis was saying on the video, focusing on the right things. I mean, you know, you can focus on the wrong things. That's what I said in prayer, uh, and I've never said that before, but as soon as I said it, I went and wrote it down because I believe in the power of problems. I, I do. I, I see the power of problems in people's lives, and I see that it leads to the demise of individuals who focus on the problems when they believe in the power of problems more than they believe in the power of prayer. But I believe God wants us to see something uh, from his vantage point and his perspective that really does release uh, and fortify something within our hearts. And so that's where we've been going in these few weeks together. Fortified and enriched was where we started. And we, we agreed and talked about the two most powerful words known to mankind. What are they? Thank you. Let's all say it together. Thank you. Very important that we understand that. Now, these cards are available to you. You'll see them in baskets in the back here by the communion stations. Remember, communion available during worship every week. We want you to 
find your place of just communing with God. Sometimes during worship, you need to go back. Today, I just went back by myself and just received communion. Sometimes I bring communion up in my family and I have communion. Sometimes I will go and, and have communion with an individual in the congregation that I just want to stand with. I want to encourage you. Make sure in our attitude and atmosphere of worship, our hearts are where they need to be. The giving stations are back there. Go back in an attitude of, of, of gratitude and warfare and give your tithe and your offering in the giving stations during worship. Let it be a worshipful expression as we learn to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And what we're figuring out is thank you is such a powerful, powerful tool. So the cards are available. You'll see them in the lobby as well. But give those cards out. It's great that you appreciate each other as a church family, but we're trying to mobilize you beyond the four walls. So maybe coworkers, neighbors, people that you're in relationship with, um, I encourage you to begin to consider how can you specifically let them know that you appreciate them. <clears throat> And in doing so, it really helps us be healthy on the inside. Third John 1, 2 has been where we're dwelling, and I want to just reiterate this each week while we're focusing in the season. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers, just as your inner man prospers. You do realize you have an inner man. You do realize you have an inner person that exists. Your body is just your body. When I look at you, I see you, but there's something deeper about you than that which anybody can see. It's what's going on on the inside. God's always trying to deal with the inner man, the inner person that exists within us. And when your inner person is strong, then certain things become very natural for you. You understand? It's not joy that makes us thankful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. So learning to be thankful actually releases something of joy within our lives. And ultimately, again, just a few things that we've talked about that have been central to this, having the right attitude releases a healthy atmosphere, which produces a good perspective. And so we want to have the right attitude. Anybody in this room have an attitude? Just point to somebody who has an attitude. Go ahead. They have an attitude. Everybody in the room has an attitude. Uh, you have an attitude. You either have a good attitude, you have a bad attitude. You have a happy attitude, you have a sad attitude. You have a nice attitude, you have an angry attitude. Your attitude comes from the same place, your brain. And what you dwell on and what you think about produces an, a an attitude in your life. And the attitude of your life, listen carefully, produces an atmosphere of your life. And an atmosphere determines what grows and dies. Palm trees don't grow in Oklahoma because it's the wrong atmosphere. You understand, when you're producing the right attitude and atmosphere of your life, the good things grow and the bad things die. When you're producing the wrong attitude and the wrong atmosphere in your life, then the bad things grow and the good things die. So you have to be very guarded in how you're cultivating the right heart and the right attitude. And when you do this, your inner man, your inner person begins to grow strong. It's very natural at that time for the weak to say, I am strong, as the Bible says in Joel chapter 3. It's just normal when your inner man is in touch with the purposes of God and the perspective of eternity. Gratitude is a gateway spiritual discipline. I love that statement. It's a gateway spiritual discipline that takes us into the deeper places with God and stronger places of faith. Gratitude is a gateway spirit. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. It's a gateway spiritual discipline. So today, that's kind of the rehearsal of where we've been, big, big rocks we've looked at. Today, I want to talk about what it is to have fortified courage. Fortified courage. Anybody ever been discouraged before? It's the lack of courage. Anybody ever been encouraged before? It's the abundance of courage. So courage is a pretty important element, and I want us to see what the secret ingredient to courage is. What do you think it was 
that gave David the courage to stand and face Goliath. Where did his courage come from? I mean, you show up on a scene, and the king and the king's army are petrified, but somehow a boy finds the courage to go and face this giant. Like, this is a crazy situation. Where do you think his courage came from? What about Daniel? Where did Daniel's courage come from? To stand for what was right, even when the culture told him it was wrong, and he continued to stand, and then he faced the lions in the lion's den. Where did his courage come from? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What do you think, the, well, the original VeggieTale version, Shaq, Rack, and Benny, uh, you know, where do you think their courage came from to actually face the fire? Where, where did their courage come from, and how can we develop a sense of stronger, greater courage in our own lives. I want you to think about who is the boldest prophet in all of Scripture. Theologians would agree uh, with this individual as the boldest prophet in all of Scripture. And that would be Elijah. He was the one that would call down fire. Uh, he was an amazing, amazing. How many of you agree Elijah was a mighty man of God? Like, like one day we're going to meet Elijah. Do you realize that? I mean, we're going to meet him. Or I'm going to have a conversation with Elijah. It's going to be like wild, having an interaction and personal. You understand, we're going to be in eternity forever. We're going to get to meet everybody. We're going to get to know everybody. We're going to get to have interaction with everybody. Whatever that'll look like, I don't know. But we're going to meet Elijah. Like, he is fascinating to me. Most powerful, uh, fire-filled prophet of all the Old Testament, and it's Elijah. And the Bible, even though that might seem so far beyond us, spiritually speaking, the Bible actually says in James 5, 17, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a person who had to resolve that he was going to believe in the power of of prayer and the power of God more than the power of problems and the power of frustration and disappointment. Whatever you're rehearsing in your life is getting bigger and stronger in your heart. And Elijah really teaches us this lesson on an incredible uh, level, and I want us to take a look at this. He's, he's about to face 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, and I want you to know who the prophets of Baal are. In addition to the 450 prophets of Baal, he faced 400 prophets of Asherah. And so we're going to see what these 850 occultic leaders, uh, what their belief structure is just a little bit. I want you to understand what was going on. And so here, here's the scenario. Uh, Israel was not in a great place. The, 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 basically, the Israelites, the people of God, they had rejected God's covenant. The, the altars were broken down, and they had killed all of God's prophets except for one. These, this is the picture that Elijah himself gives us. All the prophets have been killed, the, the, all the altars have been broken, and all of God's people had abandoned God's promises. And here is Elijah's response when he's facing these 850 occultic leaders. Do you understand? 850 occultic leaders staring him down. This is a big deal, right? This is a big deal because what does he say? 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22, all this has gone on. He said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. And what he's saying is, bring it on. I serve the one true God. You think Baal is God? He's not. This is a farce. It's a lie. It's a deception. Bring it on. I'm going to show you today who the God of Israel is because he is truly the God, the one true God that everybody should bow down and worship. 
That was his attitude. Where did he find the courage to say such a thing? Do you understand? Like, I mean, just, just standing toe-to-toe with somebody who's an atheist in your day is one thing. But 850 occultic leaders that, like, cut themselves and bleed as worship to their God, trying to get him to answer in that moment. That's what they were doing. They were dancing and, and, and chanting and shouting, and they began to cut themselves, and blood now was on their, their bodies. And Elijah, in Scripture, when you read this story, he's standing there, and and he's saying, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe Baal's taking a little nap. Why don't you yell a little louder? Why don't you cut a little deeper? Maybe that'll get his attention. I mean, he's like mocking these occultic. It's crazy. And this, these were bloodthirsty uh, savages, if you will. I mean, literally, the worship of Baal would in many instances involve the sacrifice of your firstborn child. This is crazy what was going on. In the pursuit of prosperity, many of Baal worshipers would bring their firstborn child and sacrifice them on the altar. This is demonic. This is the devil. You need to understand, this is satanic. This is an incredible uh, perspective of, of an ancient demonic force that was at work in the world in that day. This is also, you understand, that's the same spirit that drove Pharaoh to declare the firstborn of Israel in Egypt would be killed. It's the same spirit that drove in Jesus' day for the firstborn to be killed. Here we see the spirit of Baal, the prophet of Baal, and the declaration of Baal, where the same thing was taking place. It's just such a demonic element that was going on. Not just Baal, though. It was Asher. And this is an interesting goddess, and it's a goddess of sex and and lust and perversion. And ultimately, this actually became the basis for religious prostitution. And so you have these prophets of Baal that would stand in the temple and serve as male prostitutes for women who wanted to come have sexual uh, ritualistic worship. And then you had the, the prophetesses of Asherah that were in the temple that men would come and have sex with as a ritualistic expression. This is pretty crazy stuff. Anybody ever seen those movies where like an ancient demon has been locked up? Like somebody in previous generations somehow confined that ancient demon and he's locked up. And then somebody digs up the mummy and they open the box. And how many of you know the demon gets loose and like the movie is on. The action, the plot, the plan, all of a sudden like it is almost impossible to address this demonic force. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've ever seen those movies before? I'm not even talking about horror movies though. That's probably prevalent there, but I'm talking mainstream stuff. I think The Mummy, was that the name of that one? It was exactly like that. I mean, this, this is a crazy concept. I want you to think about that. Tuck that concept in your brain as I read to you. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This is idolatry. Sexual immorality. Hmm, that's an interesting word, sexual immorality. You know what in the Greek language, sexual immorality? Pornia. I just want you to know, I hadn't planned on meeting with men the day I spoke this message and didn't even realize this was all packaged in here until last week and today after the second service I'm going to ask if you guys in the room will come back and we'll all meet in here and I want to explain to you and we want to talk through we're going to take less than 60 minutes it's going to be a full day I'm going to be talking a lot today I would really appreciate your prayers 
uh, both services, that meeting, and then tonight. And uh, I would invite you to help because I want to I wanna announce to you what our 2020 strategy is to address the epidemic of pornography that is prevailing in our society that the church seems to be so silent about. And what we're addressing is an ancient demon of lust that somehow has gotten out and is prevailing in our society in a crazy way. Uh, two things. We've had a number of ladies in the church say, that's great that you're meeting with the men, but what about the women? And let's just be clear. Pornography, sexual lust and immorality, those things, this is not just a man issue. This is a men issue and this is a women issue. And we understand that. Uh, statistically, three out of four of the guys sitting in this room are hung up in pornography. That's a pretty crazy statistic. Three out of four guys and one out of three women. So the statistics on the men's side is that it is a, a stronger epidemic, but it is an epidemic in both. So what we're looking at is a starting point. This is not a cure-all. This is a starting point. We want to start with our guys. We're already talking to a few ladies that have now responded and said, I'd be interested in helping with women. Uh, and we're going to share for you guys what that 2020 plan looks like. It's not something we're starting immediately. It's something we're going to fast and pray into. How many of you believe we're addressing spiritual forces that need to be addressed? Now let me also explain something to you. This is very important that you understand. You can't fight spiritual battles on a practical level but you can't fight practical battles on a spiritual level and not only is there a spiritual force that needs to be addressed in this there's a practical element that needs to be communicated and trained and taught and equipped in this and it is both and we as the church do a sorry job at understanding the culmination of those two uh, perspectives in general but I believe God's wanting to awaken something where we can see the completion of truth and what he's desiring to do in all of our lives as we walk all of this out. So how many of you agree God is calling this church to sound the alarm in many respects and become more of what God has called us to be in this society, helping people come on in very practical ways, deeply spiritual ways as we walk this out. Elijah rose up in faith, fire came down, and God was glorified. And Ahab's wicked wife Jezebel was mad. She must have been a sex addict herself because this was her favorite religion. She was mad because all, the God, all these uh, prophets were killed. And Jezebel then says, I'm going to take Elijah's life. Now remember, Elijah standing in front of 850 uh, of occultic leaders. He's standing there and he says, the Israelites have been disobedient. The altars have been smashed. You've killed every other prophet but me. Bring it on. We're going to see whose God is truly God. You remember that? Next chapter, Elijah decides he's afraid of Jezebel. He starts rehearsing what already existed. He starts rehearsing what already existed, 1 Kings 19.10, and I want you to listen to what he says. Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for you, Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's where they were last chapter. They've broken down your altars. That had already happened last chapter. And they put your prophets to death with the sword. He knew that last chapter. And I 
am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Do you hear the phrase? I am the only one left. Chapter 18, he's rehearsing the power. I'm the only one left. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. Chapter 19, he's, reserving, he's rehearsing the problem and neglecting the power. And now he's under the mountain of discouragement. Are you rehearsing the problem or are you rehearsing the power in your life? I just want you to know, everybody has problems. The enemy's ploy is to get you so focused on your problem that you can't be a solution to other people's problem because you're plagued with such a sorry attitude about what's going on in your life, just like Elijah was. Those things existed in chapter 18, and they didn't seem to have a hold on him. But by the time he got to chapter 19, I don't know, 850 occultic leaders versus one woman? I, I, this is pretty wild, isn't it? Me, you women, man, y'all powerful, more than you realize. So here he is, he's rehearsing the problem, he's neglecting the power, and now he's grown discouraged and he's crumbling under the weight of the circumstance that's going on in his life. I just felt the Lord was saying today, he's going to move us from rehearsing the problem into a place of rehearsing the power because God is able to take us through no matter what the circumstance may be, no matter what the situation may be that we're facing. Why don't we just celebrate with Chelsea and Antonio who help lead community group ministry. And I just want to say we love you and thank you so much. And they've gone through so many crazy situations over the past year. Hospitalization, tests, biopsy. Is this thing going to be cancer? Is it? And this week, no cancer in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. We're celebrating with you. We're rehearsing the power. We're rehearsing the power. Stop rehearsing the problem and start rehearsing the power. It's the secret ingredient to courage. You know, Steve Uppel is an external elder to us from England, and he was here earlier in the year. He'll be back the first week in March. Mark your calendars. We're going to have a weekend, that first weekend of March. It's going to be an amazing uh, time, of, and we're, we're really cultivating potentially a whole other realm of what that's supposed to look like. We're asking God for wisdom. But when he was here this past year, it was really funny. In fact, I find it really humorous. Uh, I'll be going back to speak at his church this next year, and I'm going to tease his personal assistant uh, publicly because that's what we do in the body of Christ. Uh, but we, we were having coffee, and Steve wanted to talk to me about kind of some sensitive personal things. And so he told his PA, who was at the coffee shop with us, this is a Starbucks over in Edmond, he said, uh, hey, Lawrence and I are going to talk on some things that I'd rather just be the two of us if you could maybe go hit a few shops or something. And so uh, the guy gets up and says, no problem. He goes out, and, and, and like there's, you know, four-lane road there, and a stoplight and a crosswalk, like that's normal stuff, right? And like 15 minutes later, he comes back in the coffee shop and just kind of sits over in the corner by himself. And so uh, a little bit goes by, and Steve calls him over and says, what are you doing, mate? I thought you were going to go do some shopping. And he goes, yeah, man, I, I got over there to the crosswalk, and it's just not England. And he said, the lights are flashing, and horns were honking, and the cars are fast, and and this was, they're on the wrong side of the road, and, and, and the people were here. And he said, every time I tried to cross the road, I, I, I ran back. I thought I was going to get hit by a car. And I, I just find it so funny. And I can't wait in front of their whole congregation to point him out. 
This is the thing I want you to understand. He didn't have the courage to walk across the road because he was filtering in things he was not supposed to filter in, and he was filtering out the things he was not supposed to filter out. He was focusing on the things that he should not have been focusing on, therefore he never found the courage to actually cross the street to go do what he was wanting to do. Some of you in this room have been filtering out the things that you are supposed to filter in, and you cannot even seem to make it to the next level to do the things that God has called you to do. And you need to stop filtering out the things you shouldn't filter out and start filtering in the things you should filter in so that you can find the courage and the strength and the confidence to take those steps and walk across into a place where you begin to move into the next dimension of your life. Come on, God wants to do something in our hearts to activate courage today in a powerful and profound way. In two weeks, I'm going to talk about this very specifically, but we all have selective sensory perception. You have a gifted ability to filter out what needs to be filtered out and filter in what needs to be filtered in. That's what keeps you from being paralyzed and overwhelmed in every circumstance of life. And we need to take a clear, closer look at that. But the bottom line, you need to understand, without this ability, we suffer sensory overload, and it causes this constant state of confusion. I believe the enemy has tried to filter in some things into our brains that never should have been there in the first place. And unless we understand how to strengthen our inner man and take every thought captive so that then we will make our obedience complete, then we will stand in a place of being spiritually paralyzed, never manifest ourselves, and become the powerful people. Did I mention Elijah was a man just like us? Did I mention the power of God that Elijah experiences, the power of God that we experience? He was a man just like us. Are there any powerful men and women of God in the house? Are there any people that are being awakened to a greater strength of God in their lives today? day. What I'm saying is, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Just as your inner person prospers, just as your inner person is strengthened, so shall it be. In the rest of your, so shall it be in the rest of the areas of your life, your mind, your thinking, your emotions. You know, I posted this uh, this morning as I was praying. I just felt the Lord was speaking it to me. But people that are what I would call powder keg angry, like you never know if they're going to blow up. You walk on eggshells. You ever met anybody like that? They think that their anger reveals their strength. But it actually shows their weakness. Because they're so self-absorbed, they can't even give consideration to how their emotions that are connected directly to their mouth affects the people around them. Just like an infant child wouldn't have any concept of how what they're doing is going to affect the room of people around them, so is it by the infant man-child or the infant woman uh, that's never grown past the perspective of infancy. What happens is we start filtering the wrong things in. We start developing our own paradigm. We start drawing our own conclusions. And left to ourselves, we're very damaging people to the world around us. God just desires something so 
much more. And here's the thing. I, man, I just felt so strongly this morning. I want to call on you to repent today. If you have cultivated, coddled, a toxic perspective in your life. Toxic perspectives aren't always obvious and prevailing. Sometimes they're subtle. But here's the thing. If we allow a toxic perspective to exist within us, I, I want you to know this is not just going to affect, I mean, not only will people not want to be around you, but, but those toxic perspectives actually will exist and live to torment your children. I, I got to tell you, this man, third row from the back in his cowboy vest and bald head that I call dad. And I tell you what, that guy, he grew up with a, a stepfather, tried to pay him money to leave when he got old enough to drive. Didn't, didn't meet his dad until he was in his 30s. Very angry man when he was my dad. Very angry. We didn't know Jesus. My mom was our only hope. She was praying, believing. I remember, uh, I remember as a kid sitting in the car. My dad's working on the car. You got to remember this BC days before he knew Jesus. And I remember he's working in the car, and he got mad and hit, you know, hit his knuckles on something, and he grabs a screwdriver. I'm sitting in the front seat of the car, and he's like, Rah! and he literally starts puncturing the windshield with the screwdriver. You remember that, Dad? That's fun. I was watching the screwdriver puncture through the, the windshield thinking, whoa, that's something. Like, that was the atmosphere of our home growing up. I got mad because uh, I got in trouble one time. I ran in my bedroom, and I threw myself on my bed. I turned around and just kicked both my feet, kicked the bedroom window out of my bedroom. I mean, I got a scar on my wrist. I got mad and punched a glass door. I mean, how many of you know anger's dumb? I, I'm saying all that to say because when that man came to know Jesus, something shifted in his life. And one of my aunts was having a conversation with him, and she said something to the effect. She looked him right in the eye, and she goes, there's something different about what I see in you. God began to address that within him. There was rage in me. And God began to address that in me. And because we together have had those interactions and prayed for each other as now men of God who are believing God for a legacy that's different, I just want you to know, I have children and grandchildren, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren that will never, ever deal with that particular demon because we decided to destroy it in the here and now. Come on. I just want to ask you, if you're contending with something toxic deep within your soul and you say, I am not going to allow this to live to torment. I'm not talking about the outside. They have to deal with me. I'm talking about the inside, something that gets seeded that then they have to deal with on an entirely different internal level. If you're dealing with a toxic attitude, something toxic that exists within you and you just want the Lord to heal you of that so that it doesn't live on, I, I really believe this is a moment for us to address it together. I just want to ask you, stand to your feet, and let's break that right now in Jesus' mighty name. We're going to break this thing. Curse reversed into a blessing. The Bible doesn't say in Nehemiah 13, the curse will be addressed. 
and maybe tempered and held back. It says the curse will be reversed into a blessing. I still have the capacity to get angry, but man, there is something in me that is a righteous anger that normally when, when I start to get you know, passionate about something, it's actually for the good now because the curse gets reversed into a blessing. So I just thank you for your courage to stand to your feet all over this room. Those of you seated, just join with me. Let's pray for these standing just for a moment before we move on. And Father, I just thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl that is standing to their feet right now. I just believe there's something of the atmosphere of this room that has been activated by the kingdom of God to address things on a deeper level than what we can comprehend or understand in the natural realm. So we receive, Lord, the wisdom of God to allow you to reach deep within our soul. Cleanse us, O oh God. Take us deeper into the purposes of God that we might know you more intimately, that we might walk with you more consistently, and that we might live our lives with a bold confidence in Jesus' name. Come on, let's all just stand together as a congregational family. Lord, we stand in your anointing today. We receive that the secret ingredient to courage is unlocked within our soul today. Toxic attitudes and toxic behaviors will be addressed and dealt with, not only in this moment in time, though the strongholds are broken with certainty, but then the patterns that have begin to establish that are born from our ways of thinking. I pray, Father, you will grant us wisdom to address those. I know that when we confess our sin to you, we're forgiven. I pray, Lord, that we would find our way to confess our sin to each other in trusted conversations because that's where we get healed. May we be honest with others about the decision we've made today and walk in a greater release of your power and anointing that destroys every single yoke of bondage in the mighty name of Jesus.